You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to another FDNY Pro Podcast for WNYF. I am your host, Lieutenant John Paul Orger, and today we're going one-on-one with Firefighter Jason Bresler. Firefighter Bresler has served the FDNY since 2005. He is currently assigned to Rescue Company 2. He is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, holds a Master's of Science degree from Oklahoma State University, and is a graduate of the United States Marine Corps' Command and Staff College. This is his second article with WNYF. Welcome, Jason. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Jay, you co-authored this article with Deputy Chief Thomas Richardson? Correct. You guys have been working together on this initiative with others? Yeah, absolutely. Chief Richardson was one of the first folks to get involved with the uh, Mental Performance Initiative. So you yourself have been instrumental in the development of this initiative. Folks at FDNY have been looking at the mental aspects of emergency response for quite some time, but never until now have they put forth an official program to address it. I suppose timing is everything. Around the time leadership here at FDNY decided to focus their attention on building a more resilient workforce, you entered the fray with a proposal regarding the enhancement of performance through strengthening of our mental game. Can you walk me through what the genesis of all of that was for you? So first let me offer that historically this job, the larger fire service, law enforcement, and to some extent the military, the larger military, has attempted to promote resiliency, but has done so in kind of tackling mental health in a reactive fashion. Like typically when a unit returns home from a deployment, those who are having difficulty reintegrating or transitioning have a number of services that they have access to. And what some leading thinkers now advocate is that it's much better to promote resiliency upfront and address it and tackle mental performance, mental toughness, and develop that in a much more proactive fashion. As it relates to the genesis of the Mental Performance Initiative, you know, one of the great things about this job is not only do we have a tremendous number of folks who are talented firefighters and fire officers or EMS providers, but a lot of folks were highly competitive athletes before coming on the job, or a lot of folks served in the military, you know, have advanced degrees. And what you find is a common theme in high performers in sports and the military is that a lot of them are very well versed and have a very solid understanding of the mental aspect of performance. And for whatever reason, that is something that historically has received less attention in the fire service. Tremendous amount of effort and attention goes into understanding and developing the tactical and technical skills. There's been a lot of effort giving to developing the physical skills, but for whatever reason, the mental aspect has received much less attention. You've been deployed overseas with the Marine Corps for four deployments? Uh, Yeah, four deployments in support of the the global war on terrorism uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. So where does this thought process surrounding the enhancement of mental performance for firefighters begin for you? Is it on these deployments? Is it after? Over a decade ago, I deployed to Iraq, specifically Anbar Province, Fallujah, with a group of Marines at a time when the daily violence in Fallujah was at an all-time high. And the local Iraqis, who were very much disenfranchised at the time with the U.S. government, had partnered with al-Qaeda, and they had formed uh, an extremely lethal tag team that was composed of both local knowledge and then some world-class terrorists with um, largely unlimited resources. And the Marines were locked in this pretty lethal conflict with these folks. And what we had found was that for all of our tactical and technical training, 
for all of our resources and the technology that we were still largely unable to break their will, the will of those that were actively fighting us. And what ended up happening was we came to the consensus that in order to break their will, we had to do so psychologically. And we're talking about folks that are, have suicide bombers and have a tremendous amount of will. And it basically became an endeavor in mental toughness and human will. And I think that that deployment and what we learned reinforced what leaders throughout history, particularly in conflict, have learned time and time again and reinforced, and that's the mental aspect of performance trumps everything, right? That the technical and tactical acumen and skills has a lot of influence. Physical conditioning, stamina, endurance, the ability to get up every day and actively patrol and fight day in, day out has a lot of influence. But ultimately, that every endeavor in armed conflict is largely predicated or determined by human will. And at the core of that human will is, is mental toughness. So we were operating in Fallujah at the height of the violence. And every day we went on patrol, we were pretty much guaranteed to end up in a gunfight on the receiving end of a sniper attack, to kind of stumble upon an IED attack, or most concerningly, to find ourselves in the path of a suicide bomber. So we had a responsibility to be well-trained so we'd be able to mitigate any of those scenarios. And as I trained my Marines to succeed, to become comfortable operating in an environment that's that deadly, that is that uncertain, that is that chaotic, obviously there's a number of things that go into that training program. One is helping them to develop their technical and tactical skills so that they know how to employ their weapon system, they know how to operate in an IND environment so that they are less susceptible to sniper attack. The second component then is the physical aspect, right? Training them so that they have the stamina to endure an eight-hour patrol in 100-degree-plus conditions, to wear their, their combat load, and to be able to be every bit as effective at the end of the patrol as they were when we started the patrol. That addresses the physical aspect. Then the mental component. Did they have the mindset? Did they have the mental skills to go out and endure an eight-hour patrol in conditions that are that arduous and that difficult, and then to do it day in and day out for seven months? To go on patrol one day and unfortunately we lose somebody, one of our teammates or somebody from our battalion, and then how do you get up the next day and go out and do that if you watch somebody uh, you know, receive a gunshot wound yesterday or be critically injured in an IED attack? And the most critical component of that equation isn't just the physical and tactical skill. It's not even the physical stamina that goes into doing that. It's the mental aspect. It's the mindset. And oh, by the way, how do you develop relationships with people that are, in some instances, shooting at you? How do you develop relationships so that you're able to reduce their will to hurt you? How do you create a scenario where now they, they want to work together and expel Al-Qaeda? And day in and day out, the physical, the tactical, the technical, the fundamentals, all of those things are certainly important. But the mental aspect, the, the mindset, the mental skills, the resiliency, and the critical thought, right? All right, so we're doing this and it's not working. Well, how do we think about doing it differently where tomorrow we achieve better results than we achieve today? Those are all components of the mental performance. The mindset, understanding how your, your body responds to stress to optimize it, having some mental skills that you use to enhance your performance, particularly when you're, you're having a bad day, the resiliency, and then developing a greater appreciation for critical thinking in complex environments. And then all of those facets have unlimited application to what we do at fires and emergencies. So you return home from your deployments. You uh, join the forces again here at FDNY. You're back to work. So I returned back to my company at the time, Ladder 5-8 in the Bronx. Very much glad to be back in the firehouse. And many of the lessons that we had learned in Fallujah that on the surface, they didn't really apply. But when you think about them, when you start going to fires or emergencies and you think about them really more generally as being situations where there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty, 
there's chaos, it's dynamic, there's some inherent degree of risk, you have limited resources, or in some instances you have too many resources, and you're trying to gain control of the situation, and there's a physical aspect, there's a tactical aspect, and there's a mental aspect. When you look at it from that, through that lens, you see that really combat and firefighting are much more similar than they are different. So I come back to the fires with this whole newfound appreciation for the mental aspect kind of forced me to look at things a little different. There's one particular occasion that kind of left me thinking about how we do things in the fire department. So we're doing a drill on one occasion and we decided we we're going to do a down firefighter, firefighter in distress drill. We took the guy, put him in the basement, created zero to, to limited visibility, had uh, members designated to come in, search him, package him, and remove him. But in the process of conducting the drill, all of the attention was focused on the response element and virtually none was actually focused on the member in distress. So we're executing the drill, pretty good drill from a tactical and technical perspective. Guys find them, they package them, they're communicating uh, critical transmissions to the notional chief, we remove the guy, and then we critique it, and everyone's like, hey, that's a pretty good drill. Well, shortly thereafter, I'm actually reading a book that I should have probably have read before I went to Fallujah, but I read it after, called On Combat, written by Dave Grossman, who has since contributed to the FDNY's Mental Performance Initiative program. And Grossman talked about the learning that had transpired in law enforcement in the military in the 80s and 90s, where they, to some extent, were doing the same thing that we were doing in training for that scenario. Although the focus was on the response cell, and they were largely neglecting the opportunity to train the member in distress. And, you know, if you're actually in distress, there's very little that you can do physically or tactically. But actually, there's a lot that you can do mentally, right, that's going to have influence on the outcome of that event. And Grossman's mantra was, never kill a warrior in training. And kind of looking now backwards at that evolution through Grossman's lens, I said, you know what, maybe there's a little bit better way to do this. You know, maybe the guy who's in distress, maybe if you had somebody coaching him through some of the mental performance skills, maybe you like talking to him about the mindset piece or barring some of the things that have served the military well or maybe some of the things that serve athletes well when, you know, a pitcher just gives up a three-run home run and, you know, is trying to regain composure before he steps up to, to the rubber to deliver the next pitch. Maybe some of those things that serve those guys well will serve our folks well. And things that on the surface look different, but really when you peel back their layers, they're, they're much more similar than they are different. So now a few years later, you redeploy and you serve where? So in 2009 now, the war has largely shifted from Iraq to southern Afghanistan. And I redeploy in 2009 with an infantry unit to Helmand Province in southern Afghanistan, which at that time was probably one of the more lethal and violent places in the world. So I spent seven months there. The conflict was very similar in that we were trying to drive a wedge between the local Afghans and folks that were terrorist foreign fighters that were coming in. What we had learned in Fallujah and what we were learning as a result of our professional study as it relates to human factors, specifically the mental aspect, we were able to build on that and to capitalize on that and use that to really optimize our performance and as southern Afghanistan. And I think that's not only true for, for my team and my unit, but, but the larger Marine Corps. I think we were much more apt at engaging in this endeavor that we largely recognized was one of will and predicated on mental toughness. And, you know, all with the consensus that the mental aspect of performance was even more significant than just the physical aspect or the tactical and technical aspect. So I spent seven months there and we had a tremendous amount of success. It didn't, certainly didn't come without um, sacrifice or, or loss. And I returned back to my files after that deployment. And I was visiting my parents and I was looking for a particular history book. And I stumbled upon a book called The Mental Game of Baseball. And I played baseball in college. Uh, I played Division One baseball. And our coach had had us read this book. So I started thumbing through the book and looking at which pages I highlighted. 
And, you know, there's a chapter dedicated to concentration, a chapter dedicated to mindset, one I think dedicated to tactical breathing, visualization and imagery. So as I'm reading through this book then, I just rhetorically ask myself, well, what is our job? What is the FDNY? Or what does the larger American Fire Service have? What curriculum or literature that we have that's dedicated to understanding the mental aspect and then beyond understanding it, using mental skills to enhance your performance or using a greater understanding of the mental aspect to enhance the way that you prepare, you operate, and then think about your performance. I started a cursory search, like what's out there, right? I know where to go if I want to learn how to get better at forcing doors. I know where to go if I want to learn more about engine company operations. I know where I go if I want to learn more about building construction, right? I start with Chief Dunn's contributions. You know, I know where to go if I want to learn more about commanding and controlling fires. I mean, there's been dozens, if not hundreds of articles written about command and control at complex fires in New York City. Where do I go if I want to develop a better understanding of the mental aspect of performance as it relates to preparing for, operating at, and then critiquing fires? And what I found was there was very, very little to almost nothing written about the mental aspect. And what little was out there was largely connected to kind of the backside of resiliency. You know, folks struggling to come to terms with managing something after the fact, which is certainly important, but that's only one small slice of what the mental aspect of performance looks like. And I had reached out to a number of folks and I said, hey, is the mental aspect of performance, I started with, is it important? How important do you think it is at, at fires? Fires that go well, fires that go sideways, fires where you have a member lost, trapped in distress. And they all said, you know, unequivocally, it's probably one of the most critical aspects of performance and outcomes at fires and emergencies. And then the following question was, where do I, as a young guy with only six years on the job, where do I go to develop a better understanding? And they largely said, we're not really sure. It's just one of those things that you, you develop. So well, that certainly worked for you gentlemen over the course of your career. But the fact is that we're, we're going to fewer fires. And ideally, we shouldn't have to wait 20 or 30 years to have a good functional understanding of the mental aspect of performance. Right? So you gentlemen had the luxury of developing these skills somewhat intuitively, because many of them, quite frankly, are counterintuitive. But they had the fortune of developing them intuitively over the course of their career at fires that they were going to on a much more frequent basis. So how do we then get our folks to appreciate and understand that aspect of performance without having to wait 25 years or without having the luxury of working in a warrior's company? And then we, we recognized that we were going to have to really borrow or lean on the work that had been done or was being done in the military and in competitive sports. So the FDNY decides to put together a working group on this. The Bureau of Training, along with our counseling services unit, take the lead. Walk me through those steps. Several senior leaders in the organization had been talking about or discussing the value of creating a program that addresses resiliency. And they had specifically tasked the Bureau of Training and the Counseling Service Unit to start exploring some options and putting together a program to promote resiliency. And initially, some of the thought was kind of oriented towards post-event, you know, looking backwards after an event, post-event. And then there were a number of folks that said, hey, look, the military, specifically the Special Operations Community Military, sports, they're addressing this much more proactively. Maybe there's an opportunity to think about resiliency from a different vantage point you know, through a different lens. And what we were able to do is some of us had already started to talk about this and had largely been borrowing some of the concepts that had become prominent and almost commonplace in law enforcement and sports. We saw an opportunity to kind of insert 
a greater appreciation for the mental aspect of performance at fires and emergencies. A group of us had written a strategic white paper that kind of laid out, first highlighted or identified kind of the deficiency. You know, that even in the FDNY, we have hundreds of pages of bulletins dedicated to pretty much everything imaginable in the city of New York and a tremendous amount of information related to tactical and technical and fundamental procedures, but very little dedicated to human performance, the human factors or, or the mental aspect of performance. You know, and, and though that deficiency exists, I think as a team saw an opportunity to address that deficiency, kind of open the door and explore this aspect of performance that historically has received less attention. Were you surprised to find that there was a smaller population within the department that had been looking at the mental aspects of emergency response for quite some time? Yeah, so in the course of these, these conversations and discussions, you know, you run across people who had already been thinking about this stuff, right, had been reading about it, or a number of folks, you know, who had an interest beyond the fire service or had played sports at a high level that were relatively well-versed on the mental aspect of performance. At a time when, when we as a job are, are kind of given more credence to science, we're referring to fire behavior, and some of the stuff that you all and this is developing, there were certainly a number of folks across the job that said, hey, if we're gonna explore that avenue of science, then we should be exploring other avenues of science. Well, in this case, it's performance psychology, it's neuroscience, it's cognitive science. If we're gonna take our game to the next level in terms of understanding fire behavior, then we should be taking our game to the next level in terms of understanding human behavior, specifically us. You know, How do our folks, how do our leaders respond and, and manage stress Stress has historically had a negative connotation, but really, if you're, you're operating in a fire emergency and you're not experiencing some level of stress, well, then you're probably underperforming, right? What amount of stress is healthy versus what amount of stress is, is counterproductive? But there are a number of folks who were, were certainly open and receptive to exploring this avenue of science that had largely been neglected. In order to bring the mental performance initiative to the job, we recognized that we needed to get a large number of members involved at all levels of the organization, right? We wanted this to be a bottom-up, top-down, initiative, meaning that folks in the field, particularly folks that have experience and are well-respected by their peers, those caliber of folks that they believe that what we were doing was important, to largely, really essentially, only focused on improving the performance of this organization, right? And that, that's kind of a departure, because historically when we talk about the mental aspect, people often immediately go to the behavioral aspect, the counseling aspect. No, this is performance-oriented, right? And that in itself, folks that are committed to this organization, that's exciting for them. Who doesn't want to be better at operating at fires and emergencies? Who doesn't want to take their game to a level where they know that the chief standing in the street has full and utmost confidence in their skill set? Not only tactically and technically, physically, but most importantly, mentally. So we wanted it to be bottom-up in that we wanted folks in the field to believe in this initiative and embrace it. While at the same time, it was important and imperative that the fire commissioner, the chief of the department, and the primary staff saw this as important and significant and were willing to endorse it and continue to support the process. The initial committee, we, we wanted to do this in such a fashion that we were able to integrate this into everything we do, tactically, operationally, and strategically. That's a pretty big leap. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty heavy lift. In order to do that then, we needed to, in addition to having the bottom-up development and the top-down support, we needed to get folks from across the job who were willing and interested and excited about contributing to this program. You know, it's pretty easy to come to a consensus or reach a consensus area and say, all right, this is significant, this is important, we should do this. Okay, then the question is, how do we do it? Right? Much easier said than done, particularly because as much as we're able to borrow from other organizations, one is the fact is that there's very few organizations that are out there that are doing this organizationally. They're doing bits and pieces of it, maybe in small teams and small units individually. 
certain leaders embrace it, but there's very few organizations that are doing it collectively across the organization. Right? That's the first challenge. And then the second challenge is even if there are organizations out there that were, culturally, they're different than the FDNY, right? Or procedurally or operationally, they're different. So it, you couldn't reduce this to a copy-paste job, which we wouldn't want to do anyway. So the first order of business then was to create a curriculum, an intensive, immersive curriculum where we took 40 folks from across this job who are well-respected. There were actually, I think, three criteria for folks that were going to attend the mental performance immersive course. You had to be a performance leader from the field or a chief officer who was well-respected by your peers, your subordinates, and then folks above you. 360-degree respect. And two is you had to be someone who's going to be on the job for more than a couple of years, right? Somebody who's not just attending the course and then is getting out in six months. Somebody who's going to be around is going to be able to develop a greater appreciation for the mental aspect and then apply it or help us figure out how we're going to integrate this into what we do at all levels of the organization. And then three, and probably most significantly, is you had to be somebody who was open-minded. Open-minded, but also equally important, firm in your convictions, right? Somebody who is um, confident in themselves, is confident in their leadership abilities, but also possesses humility in that they recognize the fact that as much as they know, there's plenty of stuff that they don't yet know. And you put all that together, and you know we were able to select 40 performance leaders from across the job to attend this week-long course. And then the course had primarily two objectives. One is to introduce folks to the mental aspect of performance and develop a much greater understanding. So the curriculum was, I think it's anywhere between 45 and 50 hours. The first order of business was to raise everyone's level of understanding and knowledge about the mental aspect of performance. To bring them into a, in this case, an academic setting where they're exposed to forward thinkers and leaders in a number of different industries and folks from the academic community that are all considered to be leading experts on the mental aspect of performance. Right? Folks who have brought this to Major League Baseball or competitive sports. Folks who have taken this to the next level in the military special operations community, Navy SEALs, professors at at Columbia who have dedicated their lives to becoming experts on cognitive thinking, right? And when your intuition serves you well and when it may lead you astray, introducing our folks to those types of, of leaders and then taking some of that knowledge, gaining an understanding of it, and then being able to connect it to what we do at fires and emergencies. So this type of training that you're talking about, I mean, in essence, it is a departure from what most of us think of when we think about training for emergency response. Right, there's nothing really tangible there. To your point earlier, it's not teaching how to force a door. It's not a step-by-step -step tutorial. Uh, this sounds to be more like a mindset. Is that what it is? Is it a mindset? Is it a lifestyle? What is it about training for mental toughness? So as it relates to training, historically, this job does a great job of instilling tactical skill in acumen in folks. We introduced them to a number of different skills, everything from forcible entry to engine company operations, and a number of tactical evolutions where you learn, one, you develop an appreciation for the environment you're operating in, right? Is it an inward outward opening door? Is it a outward opening door? Um, what type of frame is it encased in? What types of locks? And then, all right, how do you apply the tool then to that problem set, right? And what's the best way to hold the tool? What's the best way to strike the tool? What's the best way to, to gain leverage from the tool, right? And then that pretty much addresses the tactical aspect of that evolution. Well, then you say, all right, well, then there's also a physical aspect, right? Because a door that has a series of stacked locks is going to require certainly some physical strength. How do you then combine the appreciation for the tactical aspect with the physical aspect to increase the likelihood that when you attack that door, you're going to get that door? And oh, by the way, you, you might have to hike up 8, 10, 12 flights of stairs before you even tackle the door with all your PPE. 
So that evolution, there's a tactical element, there's a physical aspect. All right, now enter in the mental aspect. How do you apply, how do you enhance your mental toughness so that you're more likely to get the door? Or in instances where you're not getting the door, you have a routine, you have a process, you have skills that you can do to help you manage that scenario. So that if, if at first you don't meet success, what are some of the things you're able to do then to increase the likelihood that you're gonna be able to get it, right? And that you're, you're not gonna lose your sense of composure or that you're gonna be less likely to miss a radio transmission because now you're frustrated with the fact you're not getting the door. That's what mental performance looks like really at the tactical level. One of the folks who's been instrumental and contributing to this program from the outside is a gentleman by the name of Stu Smith, who is extremely highly respected in the Navy SEAL community. He was a SEAL officer in the 90s, was a uh, company officer at the U.S. Naval Academy, and has spent the last probably 20 years of his professional life getting young folks ready to go to the schools for military special operations, specifically Navy SEAL School, BUDS, and Coronado. And Stu has established himself as a leading expert because he has such a high success rate of preparing folks to go to these schools where the washout rate is considerably high. And he's able to do it in a number of different ways, but one of the things that he addresses that's critical to his program is the mental aspect. If you ask him what is his definition of mental toughness, he would say it's learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable and really learning to embrace that. And that, in essence, at the tactical level, that's what we're trying to usher into the job. A lot of folks are already excited about going to fires and emergencies where they recognize the fact that they're making themselves uncomfortable, right, so they can bring comfort to those that we serve. Well, how do you take a greater appreciation for some of the science that's out there or some of the things that have served folks in sports in the military, have served those communities well? How do you take that, adapt it, and then apply it to what we do to enhance our performance, right? And, and the likelihood that when we go to fires and emergencies, we're going to succeed, right? We're going to succeed uh, operationally. We're going to reduce risk to ourselves and our personnel. And equally important, we're promoting resiliency. So in instances where the outcome in many instances beyond our control, outcome is not favorable, right? We had a bad day as a job, we had a bad day as a company, we had a bad day as a city, that in those instances, we still have a resilient workforce. We still have folks that the next day are like, you know what, that sucked. But I also know that what happened yesterday was largely beyond my control, right? Or the things that weren't beyond my control, I, I can accept that, right? And I can get better. And I wanna go back to work today being better than I was yesterday. What are some of the skills and some of the concepts um, and the, the job already obviously has an illustrious history of doing this, particularly in the wake of 9-11. But what are some of the things that we can probably adapt from the military or professional sports who, oh, by the way, is probably at the leading edge of this mental performance stuff? What are some of those things we can take and apply to what we do on a daily basis to make every single person in this organization, from the most junior probie firefighter to the chief of the department, to make all of us better individually and organizationally? That's what, that's what mental performance is. So, Jay, if there was one thing that you would like to pass on to our listeners, to the first responder community, about mental performance or about this initiative, what would that be? The great thing about MPI is not only does it serve to make you a better firefighter or fire officer or EMS provider, but a lot of these skills apply to, to everything. They apply to everyday life. It just makes you a better person. It makes you certainly a better leader, a better coach, a better teacher, a better parent, a better member of your community. It strives to enhance your performance in everything you do. It's not just limited to operating at fires and emergencies. I'm uh, obviously super passionate about this initiative, as are many of other folks who have contributed greatly. But I, I think one of the greatest takeaways at this point, and we're at a much different point today than we were a year ago, and it's really exciting to see where we'll be as a job as it relates to this initiative five, 10, 15 years from now, because this is truly a strategic initiative. But one of the greatest takeaways isn't really just specific 
to mental performance, it's more broadly related to leadership. The senior leaders were supportive and most importantly, trusted the folks on the team, whether it's young firefighters, lieutenants, or captains, and a few battalion chiefs, and certainly folks from EMS to build this. So this initiative was really a bottom-up grassroots initiative, the true tenets of leadership, mutual trust, and trusting your subordinates, and giving them the latitude and autonomy and putting trust in them to develop solutions to problems, because ultimately that's what MPI is. There was a problem set. The problem set is that we had largely neglected the mental aspect. Well, the solution is then addressing it, and that's an opportunity. And for the leadership to defer to a grassroots team speaks to one of the great things that's made this organization what it is. Jay, I want to thank you for being in the studio today. This was truly an honor for me. Be safe, sir. Thank you. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.